As COP26 gets closer and closer, the debate has moved away from just the broad political aspirations, the cakeism of the British Prime Minister, towards practical questions about what would actually have to happen to get from here to there. What would we need to do in the next 29 years globally to really crack climate change? And the IEA did us all a service back in uh, May this year by setting out a roadmap to get from here to there. Now, it has to be said that the IEA's record in uh, projections going forward is not exactly a star-rated one. There have been, in particularly in looking at the fossil fuels, some uh, pretty substantive errors. But that said, uh, this time around, the IEA have tried to put together a scenario which gets us from here to there. It's not a prediction, it's simply what would we have to do. And there are some pretty stark numbers. So, for example, the IEA assumes 2 billion more people by 2050. Just think about that, what all those people are going to do, what they're going to consume, how much carbon they may require, especially given that Almost all of those people will be in developing countries and not developed ones. They're not G7 countries that we're talking about. Now, the IA in this scenario has an 8% reduction in energy demand, despite that 2 billion extra people. Just think about that. All those people, maybe 9 billion people plus, crowded together in the run-up to 250 are going to be using less energy, significantly less energy per head than we are today. So that's a big ask. And if you think about all the extra demands for energy that people have coming down the track, and especially with climate change, the demands for cooling, desalinisation, etc., it's a pretty tall order. My bet is the demand for energy will be substantially higher in 2050 than it is today in 29 years' time. Now, it's when it comes to the fossil fuels that the wake-up call is really sounding extremely loud and clear. You know, in the IEA's world, we virtually get rid of coal by 2050 in the world energy uh, mix. Oil is got down by about 70-75%, gas by 55% or so. So, you might think, you know, with only 29 years to go, that at least these things have stopped going up in demand and that we're beginning uh, an extraordinarily fast route out of what makes up 80% of the total energy demand globally now, which comes from fossil fuels. We've got to go from 80% in the IEA scenario back down to just 20% again in 29 years. So you'd think... Surely we've got some plans to shift direction, even if we haven't really started very much on this. Well, the fact is that the demand for oil and the demand for gas continue to go up. Oil is pushing up towards 100 million barrels a day. And there's not the slightest sign that the demand for oil is about to tail off. And when it comes to gas, 
the gas share is rising and the total gas demand is going up too. And when it comes to coal, the worst of all the fossil fuels, what we witness is not a picture of decline, but at best plateauing. And we have China building more new coal power stations than the entire set of closures in uh, Europe and the United States. So it's not a good story. And it's about putting on the screeching brakes on fossil fuels and then reversing really fast. And it has to be said that there's not much evidence that any of that is about to happen anytime soon and virtually no evidence whatsoever that this is likely to happen within the 29 years that we have at stake. But just for a moment, assume that it worked. Assume we got out of those fossil fuels. The other side of the assumptions that are made is that all that green stuff really is green. And uh, as the EU has discovered in its debates about its new climate change package, there is a great deal of carbon involved and a great deal of pollution and a great deal of natural capital destruction involved in electric cars in particular and, of course, burning biomass. So just reflect for a moment that half the total renewables in Europe are uh, comprised of biomass and that some of that biomass comprises of burning wood uh, and in some cases in large power stations. Now, that's not to say that biomass doesn't have a role. Of course it does. But it is to say, don't imagine that we're switching from nasty, dirty fossil fuels into a really clean, bright, spanking renewables. Not a bit of it. And just think about where those minerals come from, which go into the components of batteries and think about how the batteries are to be recycled. And then maybe it's not quite so exciting about electric cars. And the sad fact is that you can run a small petrol driven car for a long, long way before it's outpaced in carbon performance by many of the electric cars which are being triumphed as green at the moment. So reality, a hard, cold dose of cold water poured on some of the more extreme predictions that people are making and the demands. So if people mean it at COP26, if the world leaders really want to demonstrate to us that they are genuinely going to do net zero by uh, 250, then they have to move on from talking the talk, setting out ever more ambitious targets, clapping themselves on the back and telling us how they've cracked the problem. And they need to get on with walking the walk. And once you realise that it really is all about that switch from 80% fossil fuels to maybe 20, you have to focus on where those fossil fuels are going to be used and who has to change behaviour. And while I can understand why activists get terribly excited about uh, campaigning against, you know, BP, Shell, Equinor and other IOCs, independent oil companies, and try to campaign on them very hard, the reality is that they are genuinely a bit part in the great fossil fuel game. You know, it's all about Saudi Aramco, PetroChina. It's about Rosneft. It's about Russia, Saudi Arabia, China, and a host of related large 
oil producers, none of which are nice democracies, and none of them will welcome the demonstrators gluing themselves to the headquarters of Saudi Aramco in somewhere like Riyadh, or campaigning in Beijing against the Chinese government's coal power stations. So the sad fact is, this is where it's going to count or not. And for several of these really major uh, fossil fuel countries, there is no ambition whatsoever to get seriously out of their main source of government revenue, and particularly for the elites that run those countries. So it's all very well for G7 to say, aren't we great? We're going to phase out coal without, of course, even giving a date for when the G7 are going to phase out coal. But actually, that's not the point. The question is, when is China going to phase out coal, being responsible for half the world's coal burn? And this is where the COP26 has to get brutal. It's really not sensible to just parade out lots and lots of targets and claim that these are going to add up and produce the right answer at the end. We'd been there before. We were there at Durban. In fact, we were there at Copenhagen. We were there at Paris. Why would anyone believe this stuff without the walking the walk set of policies to get from here to there? And so for all the ESG, for all the excitement about exiting shares in quoted Western oil companies, the reality is that what has to happen at Glasgow is that a global deal has to be put together which pitches the major powers in the West with the major developing countries. And here, in order to walk the walk, there has to be a mechanism to persuade those countries to pursue a different path. And when the Indian government in particular says, so where's the money coming from? Who's going to pay for all of this? If the answer is, oh, well, we'll give you 100 billion, maybe a bit more, less than we spend in a year on the coronavirus, but not much more than that. Oh, and in the meantime, we'll cut our foreign aid anyway. It really isn't credible. And the worst thing to happen at COP26 is for people to genuinely believe that the leaders have cracked the problem, as opposed to perhaps something more modest, which the leaders have confronted the sheer scale of the ask to get from 80% fossil fuels to 20% fossil fuels in 29 years, given that we're still going in the wrong direction. And it's no accident, therefore, that every year we add two parts per million to the concentration of carbon in the atmosphere. And of course, we did that even during the coronavirus lockdowns. And in the background, the methane uh, increases are really scarily large. Time to get real, time to address the brutal facts, time to cut the jargon and the back patting and all that usual bonhomie of cakeism and get down to the serious business of addressing what is an enormous challenge, probably a challenge never seen before to confront world leaders. Let's hope they're up to it and let's hope that they cut out the, the talk in favour of focusing on the walk. Thank you.